0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: I'll be reading from Acts 1, through 1-11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Father, we, uh, as we come before you and we think about the ascension of your son Jesus Christ and how he's even now seated at your right hand, Victorious, as our victorious king. We also remember, Lord, that he is our high priest and that he has made the ultimate sacrifice. He doesn't like the priests of old have to make sacrifice after sacrifice. In one sacrifice of himself on the cross, he has forever put away our sin. We're so thankful that he can come up there as that ascended high priest and sit down in the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies, with you. And that even now, as we pray for ourselves, we know that he prays for us even more. That he intercedes for us to you. Amazing comfort we have in that, Lord. That we are even now being prayed for by your son, Jesus. So we pray, Lord, as we open your word and as we think about him as our ascended king, we pray, Lord, that you would thrill our hearts with what that means. With what that means for this world, with what that means for our families, our communities, for ourselves. Lord, make us just thrilled in our hearts. We know that in the beginning, these apostles, they they didn't know what to do with the ascension, but later they rejoiced when they understood what it was all about. And so we pray that you do that work in us today. Draw the lost to yourself and cause your people to just be thrilled with their ascended Lord, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said, amen. So happy Ascension Day. There is no ascension greeting uh, that I'm aware of. There is not. Maybe there is, but he is risen. He is risen indeed for the resurrection. Maybe he's ascended. He's ascended indeed. We could do that. He's ascended. He's ascended there we go. And that might not be original, but uh, this is one of the five traditional Christian celebrations on the traditional calendar. So you've got Christmas. You've got Good Friday. You've got Easter. You've got Ascension, and then you've got Pentecost, and so next week will be Pentecost Sunday. All of these are tied to the life of Jesus to remind us that our salvation is completely tied to Jesus. Our salvation is completely tied to Jesus and what He's done, not us and what we've done. And these five celebrations remind us of that. Ascension has been historically a really big event in the church. It's now been neglected, but as Josh said, we're we're bringing it back, hopefully, and uh, we're doing our first Ascension feast this Sunday. We're going to learn from that and build it up, and we're excited to do it. We remember a lot of times about the cross on Good Friday. We remember the resurrection on Easter, but somehow we forget what Jesus is doing right now. You know, we kind of see, you know, the cross, resurrection, and then we don't really know how he left. He kind of slinked off the stage, you know, where is he, what happened? Well, he was around for 40 days. He showed himself to be alive and well and resurrected and whole back from the dead, And then, on that 40th day, he ascended into heaven. And the ascension reminds us of what Jesus is doing right now. And right now, he is reigning as king. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Before I get started, I do want to let you guys know, I've got five copies of this book, The Ascension of Christ, Recovering a Neglected Doctrine. Really great book. It goes through how Jesus is our ascended king, and our ascended prophet, and our ascended priest. And so if you would read this, not use it as a nice decor, but you would actually read it. I'm going to leave them right here, and whoever grabs them first, grab them. Let me know how you liked them. But as we think about kings, as we think about Jesus as king, maybe the best place to start is, why do we need a king? Why do we need a king? You know, we're Americans. We made our decision about kings a long time ago. We don't feel like we need a king. Why do we need a king? Why does this world need a king? And the answer is that the world needs fixing. The world needs a king because the world needs fixing. Anybody who thinks this world is just going along just fine isn't paying attention. This world is deeply broken, and that's why we need a king. And to say deeply broken even is to put it very mildly. But why is the world broken? And the Bible gives a very compelling answer for why the world is broken. And so what I want to do first is look at the problem, then we're going to look at God's solution, this king. The world was created totally good. That's why you have high expectations for it that are never met. You have an instinct that it should be better because at one time it was better. Um, he created this place totally good. He created human beings totally good. He created them to be his kids, to rule over his world, and to cause the world to flourish or for him to be glorified. In Genesis 1.26, God says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were created, guys, to be God's royal family, to be his children, and his children that would reign under him over the world. From Eden, Adam and Eve were to reign over God's world and spread the kingdom out over the entire world to fill the world with God's image bearers. This morning we have family service, so we have all these kids in here, and it's, it's tricky and it's exciting for you to see how it will go, but it's a, it's a great fulfillment, right? Because we were created to create other image bearers that would fill the world with his glory. That's a good gig, guys humanity had a really good gig to rule over the whole world to to cause it to flourish to expand his kingdom and to fill the world with their children with god's image bearers to make the world a place that reflects his glory it's a good gig but adam failed he failed to rule well not content to live under god's rule he followed satan uh, satan's lead and wanting to be his own god you guys remember this story genesis 3 and in his rebellion Adam let Satan and evil into this world. That's what's wrong with the world, is that through humanity's fall, evil was let into the world. Satan and evil were let into the world. Now, you might be like, Satan, really? You know, you you might think that that thinking about Satan, talking about Satan is somehow silly and outdated. You know, like, oh, you believe in Satan. You know, uh, how silly, how quaint. Can't believe you believe in these kind of things. 21st century educated people. But I'd say to you, have you read the news lately? Right? There's really good evidence that Satan is real, isn't there? Do you think this world is just the way it is because we don't have enough education or we don't have enough mental health services or we don't have enough law enforcement? All those things are great and important, but there's a deeper problem, isn't there? You look at things and you go like, even if we had more education and mental health services and law enforcement, we'd still have a problem because the problem is much deeper than any of that. Guys, I think it's a great time, and I'm saying this to you, I'm saying this to people you talk to, this would be a really great time to start believing in real evil again. This would be a really great time to start believing in an evil that's personal, that plots, that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, an evil like Satan. Satan makes a lot of sense in our world, actually. He's a great explanation for what's going on. And so through our sin, humanity let evil into the world. But here's the thing, guys. We have no way to remove it. It's a problem we cause. We have no way to remove. I mean, you know, it's like the old story of Pandora's box. The box gets open, evil comes out, and we have no way to stuff the evil back in again. And how would you, really? How are you going to take evil and, and shove it out of the world? How are you going to package it up and, and send it off into space or something? It's a slippery thing. How do you capture it? How do you grab it? How do you contain it? How do you rid the world of it? You can't. Because of their sin, Adam and Eve and his descendants were no longer fit to rule over this world, and so there was no man worthy to reign over the world and to set all things right, at least not yet. right? But right after the fall, as the world is filling with darkness, God makes a promise, a very famous promise in Genesis 3:15, that he would one day send a man who would defeat the devil and remove evil from the world and set all things right. It's kind of a cryptic promise. It sounds like this. God says this to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The cryptic statement, but that somebody would come at some point and is going to receive a pretty significant blow from Satan, but Satan's going to get the worse of it, right? He's going to get the head wound. As that promise develops throughout the Old Testament, it becomes clear that that Redeemer is a king, a human king. A human king to come. And Israel's story is a a story of longing for that promised king. You know, when you read the book of Judges and you see just the horrendous things that happen in the book of Judges, one of the points of the book of Judges is it says over and over again there was no king in the land and people did whatever they wanted. And so there's this longing through the book of Judges. It's like, you know what, we probably do need a king. And then you get to the book of Kings and what do you find out? Not these guys. Not these guys right? You know, we need a king, and then a king comes, and they're like, these are not the right kings. And then what's cool is the book of Psalms and Proverbs tell you, don't worry about it, I got a better one coming. So throughout the prophets, a king is promised, a human king who is going to rule over all nations. And we see that in Israel's history that when the king was good, the people flourished, the land was safe. When the kings were bad, it was the opposite. and Most of the times they led just like Adam. But God promised King David that one day a descendant of his would reign on his throne forever. And as we see that promise develop through the prophets, we see that he's going to reign over all nations. And the good news of Ascension Sunday, guys, is that Jesus is that king. Jesus is that promised king. Jesus was born a descendant of David. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of the king. He was welcomed by the Magi as king. He was hunted by Herod as a rival king. Throughout his life, Jesus constantly talked about his kingdom, didn't he? Which is strange when you look at the kind of lack of power he had and the lack of wealth and the lack of following that he had, that he was constantly talking about his kingdom and how it would take over the whole world and how wonderful it'd be. And he did all these miracles to show just a little bit of what the kingdom would be like, you know? He would heal the blind, he would heal the lame, he would heal those of, of demons and sickness and all these things to show this is what my kingdom's gonna be like. So he taught as a king, he did miracles as a king. In the wilderness, he was a successful king as as Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And he replayed the temptation of Adam, but he led victoriously. He defeated all of Satan's temptations. He showed that he was the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 that would come and reign as the better king. He was confessed as king. You remember Peter's confession of him? Saying, you are the Christ. You guys realize that Christ is not his last name? I think that's important to remind people of. Christ means anointed, anointed one, the anointed king. Peter confessed him as the king. The last week of his life, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey as a king. He was welcomed as a king with palm branches. He was tried by the Jews and by Pilate as a rival king. Remember, they beat him and they mocked him as a king. Remember, they put a purple robe on him, and they put a crown of thorns on him, and they put a reed in his hand, and they bowed down to him in mock homage, and and they they beat him, and, and they persecuted him as a king. Jesus was crucified as a king. Jesus hung under a cross below a sign that said, King of the Jews. Now, while Jesus' cross might look like a defeat, and it did to all of the world around as he was hanging there, and he has the sign above him mocking him, King of the Jews, ha-ha, he thinks he's a king, we've crucified him, right? Rome, that's why they crucified people, was to put them to open shame and say, oh, you thought you were something, let me show you what you really are. Though it looks like a defeat, guys, the cross was actually Jesus' victory. In forgiving our sins, he also was able to undo the power of evil in this world. He was able to defeat Satan through the cross. Colossians says it this way, Colossians 3.14. says, By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus took our rap sheet, right? He took the, the list of charges against us and took that and put it on Jesus and nailed them to the cross, securing our salvation. But listen to the next part. It also says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And what he's talking about there is, angelic fallen angels he's talking about satan and demons here the spiritual powers he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him guys by the cross jesus defeated satan and demons and all evil you guys aware of that the cross can be looked at a bunch of ways that are totally legitimate and one of those legitimate ways of looking at the cross is something called christus victor the christ is the victor that not only was he our substitutionary atonement, not only did he remove all our sin, that would be enough, but he also defeated the powers of Satan and demons and evil. He made it so that they would no longer be able to stay in God's world, that their time here would be limited. He dethroned the powers of evil. And I think this helps, guys, when we think about the problem of evil. And I'm sure you guys have been wrestling with that, and there's many, many different parts to the answer of the problem of evil, but one of them would be this. Who could ever imagine a God who cared about the misery of the world more than Jesus? Right? You think about the evil in the world, and you think about it shouldn't be here, and Jesus agrees, and there is no God who has done, that you could even imagine, that could do more about the misery of the world, that would care more. He was crucified to set the world right and to rid it of all evil. Now, you might do some volunteer work. You might do some things to make the world a better place, and you should, and that's great. But no one has volunteered like Jesus, right? Amen? He volunteered to go to the cross to rid the world of sin and evil and Satan and demons. And the other thing we can think about the cross as well, Christus Victor, is that no one has a more effective solution to the world's brokenness, do they? Jesus' solution is let's do this. Let's remove all sin and evil from the world. That's his solution. That's a pretty full solution. Like, that's really taking care of it, right? He doesn't say, you know what, we need an inspirational TED Talk, social program, or education. I love all those, and I love the TED Talks, okay? <laughs> But he did something bigger because our problem is bigger. Our problem required the death of the Son of God on the cross to disarm and remove the forces of evil. And you know what's even better than that? There are better things. What's even better than that is through the cross, God devised a way to remove evil from the world without removing you. This is pretty amazing because we've all contributed to the evil in this world, haven't we? Haven't you? Haven't you contributed to your own household, (laughs) to your own workplace, to your own neighborhood, right? We have all sinned repeatedly against God and each other. A world without evil, guys, would be a world without us, right? We think about we want evil removed from the world. Realize that a world without evil would be a world without us. But the amazing thing about the cross is that God has found a way to remove our sin and at the same time have a solution for removing evil from the world, both, it's amazing, right? He, he found a way to set the world right and to set us right. It's incredible. So Jesus was born as a king, he was crucified as a king, and then he is enthroned as king. And that's what today is about. The ascension is about Jesus Christ receiving the throne over the whole world. The creed we read earlier says, He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that word ascend, it has two meanings, right? You can think of ascend means going up. But ascend also means to receive a throne, right? You ascend to a throne, you can ascend going up. The ascension actually means both. And from our side, as uh, Don read earlier, from our side in Acts 1, it doesn't look like much. He just kind of goes up. I mean, it's impressive. I mean, if one of you started just going up, disappeared in the clouds, like, that would be impressive. But there wasn't any lasers or fireworks Or even like a chariot of fire. Doesn't chariot of fire seem appropriate? But in Acts, it reads like this, Acts 1-9. And when they had said these things, so they're all talking, and they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is the funniest question. It's like, well, like a dude just, you know, disappeared in the clouds. But they seem to be waiting for something more, right? They're like, oh, wait, is that, okay, now what? Like, we'll just, you know. But what's really cool is we do have a way to see the other side. So Jesus goes up. There's some sort of opening into heaven, different dimension, something like that. And he passes into heaven, and we do have a way to look at the other side, and it's in Daniel 7. The prophet Daniel describes what the ascension looked like from the other side. So, earth side, he goes up into the clouds, pops through, comes out this side into heaven, and Daniel describes it in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And so, you know, our side, Acts 1, is just kind of, he goes up in the clouds. Heaven's side, you see him coming, being received by heaven, by angels, and by the Lord himself, and all the angelic creatures and everything, and receiving the dominion, receiving the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Isn't that amazing? And the context of Daniel seven, if you read it, is a bunch. There's a bunch of like scary beasts in Daniel seven that represent the nations and how the nations have descended into chaos. And so they're depicted as, as all these awful creatures because they have turned against God as evil has entered into the world. Daniel's so freaked out about it; says he was dis- he was alarmed and he turned pale. In the midst of all that chaos and the evil stirrings of the nations, the Ancient of Days is there, serene on his throne, and says, here... Here is the king of this place who will make all things right. Isn't that amazing? He says, All dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one and shall not be destroyed. Guys, the ascension is the good news that Jesus is exalted to his glorious throne in heaven. And you might ask, Wait, but Jesus is God, right? Didn't he already have a throne? Was he already king of kings? Like, I'm confused. What's happening in the ascension, though, this is the first time he's been enthroned as the God-man in his full humanity. This is one thing we often miss, is that Jesus still is human. He is God and man. He didn't give up his humanity at any point, right? Where would he have left it? You know, raised in the resurrection, shows himself to be human, and then we now have a human king, God and man, on the throne, Jesus Christ. The crucified one is now enthroned in heaven. This might sound weird, but I was thinking about this this week. Aren't you happy for him? Aren't you happy for Jesus? It's so cool. After all that he's been through for us, you know, after all that he endured, that he didn't have to, But he did it for us. He endured the cross. He endured the life here and the difficulties here. And now he's enthroned and receiving his glory. He's our best friend. We're happy to see him enthroned. And the other thing I thought about too is, isn't he the best possible person to be king over this universe? Like if we were going to have an election, and please no, (laughs) let's not. If we were going to have an election for king of the universe... Isn't he the best possible king to have? Isn't it amazing? How blessed are we that Jesus is king over the universe? It's a real reason to celebrate. And what's amazing is our union with Christ means that in, in a sense, in a very real way, you're there with him now. You guys realize that? You should look at this. You should mark this. You should write this down. Ephesians 2.6 says this really interesting thing. It says that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places. And one of the amazing things you can miss about this is the tense. What's the tense there? It's past tense. That we have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Because if you're a Christian, you are united with Christ. You're in Christ by the Holy Spirit such that you're wherever He is. And so you have already, even though you're here and I see you here, you are also reigning in heaven with Christ, alongside of Christ. The ascension means that you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is what Jesus is doing now. He's reigning physically in heaven, the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the Ancient of Days. This is called theologically his session, his seatedness, that he's seated on his throne. But one thing we might want to think about on that is is that just because Jesus is seated doesn't mean he's inactive, He's very much active, because to be seated on the throne at the right hand is to have all power and authority. His being seated actually activates all the things that his kingdom will do in this world, and Jesus is advancing his kingdom right now in this world of darkness. Jesus from his throne is spreading his kingdom out in this world, and Jesus told us how this would go. He said that it would be incremental, that it would be gradual. He said it would be like a seed growing into a tree. Or it would be leavened like in a dough, kind of working its way through. That we ought to expect that Jesus' kingdom would not come like the disciples were expecting in Acts 1 all at once, but his kingdom is now spreading incrementally. It's an already-not-yet kingdom. It's infiltrating. It's taking over enemy territory. Having defeated the powers of evil at the cross, Jesus is now applying that victory in the overthrow of his enemies. There's a great illustration of this, and that's D-Day and V-Day, right? That there was D-Day, the storming in Normandy, that was the decisive thing, the decisive access to Europe through which, you know, the rest of the Allies would come through and ultimately defeat the Nazis. But it was a year later, right? It was V-Day, a little less than a year later. And so we live in that time. We live in the time between Jesus, his victory on the cross, defeating all sin and evil, and the powers of evil, Satan and demons, and the time of their removal, V-Day. So we're in that time in between. Our enemy is defeated but not yet removed. And Jesus gave really interesting illustrations of this. One of them, one of my favorites, is that he describes Satan as a strong man who's been bound up, so now his house can be looted. Isn't that good news? Through the cross, Satan is, is like a strong man that's been bound, and now we can loot his house. Would you like to loot his house? There's a lot of people in there. There's a lot of souls in there. His house can be looted. Guys, I know, especially lately, that evil seems so strong right now. Doesn't it? The way the world is right now, you feel like anything could happen to you at any moment. Evil seems so strong right now. But guys, I want to tell you, because of Christus Victor, that's not strength, guys. That's desperation that you're seeing from the enemy. That's the brutality of an enemy that is desperate. He's desperate. He knows he's only got a short time. He knows he's defeated. Evil dictators take desperate means when they know they're going to lose. They'll do any kind of brutal technique. Revelation 12 says this, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows what? That his time is short. Guys, what looks like evil gaining strength is really the agonal thrashings of evil. A dying rattlesnake is dangerous, right? An agonal thrashing dying rattlesnake is a dangerous thing. But that thrashing will not continue for long. Evil isn't winning, it's getting desperate. Jesus is advancing his kingdom through through his church the ascended Jesus right now is taking enemy territory through the mission of the church. You wonder, like, how does his kingdom expand? It expands through the gospel, through the, through the ministry of you guys, that his work through you. Remember when he gave the Great Commission, he, he gave it as the ascended king. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And the kingdom expands in this world as we share the gospel message. People are pretty confused about this. You know, people think that, oh yeah, you, you know, medieval times or you know, back pre-Reformation. People thought, well, we've got to expand the kingdom. We've got to do it with armies. We've got to do it with earthly powers. That's the way it's done. But Jesus expands his kingdom through the word of the gospel. The word gospel was a first century word. The Romans used it for two things, the winning of a great battle or the ascension of a new emperor. And in the gospel, our gospel, it's both. That he's won the victory over our sin, he's won the victory over evil, and he's been enthroned as the world's emperor. So every time you share the gospel, guys, and people believe it, they get transferred from the kingdom of the enemy, which is a dying kingdom, to the kingdom of Jesus. Colossians 1 says it this way, verse 13, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love that gospel word, transferred. <laughs> you know, that if you, if you trust in Christ, you get transferred, right? You've been transferred into his kingdom. It, it shows how much it's all God and not us, right? You believe and you got transferred. Have you been transferred? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Or are you a part of that old kingdom? And you see what that kingdom's about. He's making his ways known very clearly. It's a kingdom of death. Satan is like a suicide bomber that wants to take as many people with him, he knows he's doomed? Or are you a part of the kingdom of Jesus, where the king has laid down his life for you to forgive all your sins? You can be transferred. You go, well, I need to get right with God, and I need to change my life, and I need to do some different things. And I'm like, we all agree, okay? But becoming a Christian and becoming saved is being transferred, right? You believe and you get transferred, and then your life changes all kinds of ways. The kingdom is extended throughout the world when more and more people hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, and then they submit their lives to the kingdom, to the king, right? They get transferred, and then they submit their lives to the king. And that's how the world changes. The world changes through more and more people being transferred into his kingdom and submitting their whole lives to that great king. And who wouldn't? Jesus empowers his church's mission through the giving of the Spirit. Next week, Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about how Jesus, after he ascended, sent his Spirit. It's a 10-day interval, right? 40 days after the resurrection, he ascends. 10 days after that, at Pentecost, the Spirit comes down. Pentecost is like the aftershock of the ascension. So Jesus goes up, he ascends into heaven, they kind of just see him pop away. They don't see all this Daniel 7 stuff. And they're waiting 10 days and then boom, the coming of the Holy Spirit, which says mission accomplished, right? It's as if Jesus ascends and it's like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it 10 days and then boom, the Holy Spirit comes, fills his people, fills his people with gifts and you just see the church take off. So what's Jesus doing now? He's ascended, he's reigning, he's sending his spirit into the church, he's empowering the sharing of the gospel, he's transferring people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of to his own kingdom. Jesus is right now looting Satan's house. That's what he's doing from his throne. How about you? If you're a Christian, if you trusted in Christ, you are right now, because you're in Christ, reigning in heaven with him. That's about you. That would be the first place to start, is to say because you're in Christ, you're where he is. Your final destination is very much secure. It's like you're already there. You are already there. (laughs) And then by the Spirit, what should you be doing every day? What you guys should be doing every day by the power of the Spirit is stepping on Satan's head every day. Kick him in the head. How do we do that? We do it through the sharing of the gospel. Every time you share the gospel, or every time you encourage a brother or sister in this room with the gospel, every time you use your spiritual gifts to bless others, you're stepping on his head. I think you should do that Daily. I think you should wear comfortable boots. I think it's really important. You know, there's this great benediction that Paul gives in Romans 16. He says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What is that? That's Christus Victor applied to the church. And through the spirit, through God's power, through the gospel, every day, stepping on Satan's head. Guys, if you care about the sad state of this world, then you would give your life to the spreading of the gospel and the encouragement of his church. That's how the Spirit extends the kingdom in this world. And then lastly, the ascension shows us how Jesus will return as king. Back in Acts 1, the angel said this, this Jesus who you saw taken up into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. What do they mean by that? Jesus is going to return here visibly, physically. He's going to return like he left, but much louder. He kind of went quietly away. (laughs) He's going to come very loudly. And he's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. It says in the the creed, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we've seen in our psalm series that in the psalms, guys, God's judgment is very good news. It's what this world needs. Psalm 98 says this, let the seas roar and all that fill it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. And then the reason for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Jesus will return as king visibly and physically. And when he returns, he's not going to return to take us up to heaven. He's going to return to bring heaven down here. Isn't that what we need? The ascension tells us that's what's coming next. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel is so rich that, that the gospel tells us that your son, Jesus Christ, was crucified in our place for our sins, that by faith we're united with him and have his righteousness, but it also says that you're not done with this world, this physical world, this, this place we live in, and that you're gonna return, your son is gonna return and reign here and make all things new. And we pray, Lord, that we would go out with that hope, that we would be willing to sacrifice or lose or risk anything that we have here, knowing that we have a better country, a better city, a better place, that we would be able to give up anything, Lord, to to join you in stepping on your adversary's head. And we know, Lord, that he will not take that lightly. And we know that there are many attacks that will come upon us. But we go in your protection. This is what we're here to do. We pray, Lord, that we would do this relying only on your power, only on your spirit, and only on the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.com.
1: Org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.